This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. This is the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Our flagship station, AM 740, Zuma Radio, a 50,000-watt blowtorch of a station that reaches far down into the United States. And, uh, of course, we have around 25 U.S. affiliates and counting. Uh, so those listening online at uh, www.zoomeradio.ca and uh, talkzone.com and, of course, far and wide via the podcast, welcome one and all. If you dig the uh, the radio show, you might also want to check out The Conspiracy Show on television, seasons one and two, continuing to air in high rotation, as they say on the radio, uh, on uh, Vision TV across Canada. Uh, so you want to check out your local listings to find out where Vision is on the dial in your area. And Season 3, coming this fall, 2014. Uh, and uh, earlier this week, just found out, the Conspiracy Show, again, the television program, debuted on Destination America in the United States. So we finally have... That foothold in the U.S., the conspiracy show television program on Destination America. So we're pretty darn excited about that. Uh, Before we get started with the main menu, I want to draw your attention to a very exciting event that's coming down the pipe right here in Toronto. For those of you, and I know you are legion, fans of the legendary investigative journalist, world-famous author, Jim Mars. Jim is coming to Toronto for a very intimate uh, evening, prevent, uh, presented by our, our dear friends, uh, Patrick and Kadena, at Conspiracy Culture. Sunday, June 22nd. His first time in Toronto, and let's face it, you know, it could be his last so you don't want to miss it. It's at the Bloor Cinema, and if you, uh, if you go on to conspiracyculture.com and you'll see all the details there, how to get tickets, act fast. You don't want this one to slide by you. 
Jim Mars. And here's the cool thing. After the Bloor Cinema, and this is Sunday, June 22nd in the afternoon, after you hear Jim speak, and I'll be emceeing, and maybe doing a little uh, Q&A of my own on stage, and then you'll get a chance to ask Jim Mars some questions. After that, this is the cool part. We go across the street to the Pauper Pub, and you get to hoist a few and talk shop with the one and only Jim Mars, author of uh, Rule by Secrecy, Alien Agenda, A Crossfire, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, Our Occulted History, Above Top Secret, The One and Only Jim Mars. All right. That's just a little bit of an hors d'oeuvre for you. Let's uh, tuck into the main menu, shall we? Tonight, over the next hour, we're going to talk about something most of us have witnessed or wondered about. But nothing, I mean, the silence is deafening. The silence is deafening in the mainstream media. It's that huge pink elephant in the room. In fact, if you've wondered about this particular phenomenon, this strange occurrence overhead, hint, hint, and then you call the newsroom of your favorite radio or TV station or the newspaper to find out, hey, what's going on up there? What are these strange crisscrossing patterns I see in the sky? They'll ignore you. They'll laugh at you. They might even hang up the phone. If you call the Ministry of Transportation here in in Canada or the airport authority and say, hey, what are those planes spraying up there? They'll likely plead total ignorance. So why all the silence about these strange white trails? We're told... They're condensation trails, contrails. This is the normal crystallization of water vapor as it comes out of these jet airliners. Nothing to worry about. But many of us have suspected for some time that these are not normal contrails or condensation trails. They are chemtrails. The deliberate aerosol spraying. And uh, there's considerable documentation to suggest that the culprits in the spring, or at least the vehicles involved, the, the uh, well, we're talking about um, military transport planes, the C-130 Hercules in some instances. And these chemtrails are believed to contain things like aluminum oxide particulates, strontium, barium. All of these things have a very strong link to heart disease, Alzheimer's. Soil samples and and water samples in places like Mount Shasta in California. The aluminum particles in the soil are off the charts. Some say the spraying is part of a a joint scientific-military program called geoengineering. Some say it's a last-ditch effort to stave off the effects of global warming by deflecting the sun's rays back up into the outer atmosphere. Others have posited that the programming is, or the program, this geoengineering program or aerosol spraying is part of a depopulation agenda. Some suggest the chemtrails work in conjunction with something called HARP, the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project up in the Alaska, or the, uh, the Copper Valley in Alaska. Well, my guest tonight is the author of a brand new book. In fact, it's so new the ink is barely dry and it's arrived perhaps just in time to shed some very important light on 
this issue. Let me crib from the book. We are entering a space age, but not the kind President Kennedy originally envisioned. This space age is replacing resource wars and redefines planet Earth as a battle space in accordance with the military doctrine of full-spectrum dominance. This book, and I'm speaking of, examines how chemtrails and ionospheric heaters like the high-frequency active auroral research project, HARP, in Alaska, services a full-spectrum dominance. This revolution in military affairs needs an atmospheric medium to assure wireless access to the bodies and brains of everyone, anyone, on planet Earth. From heat-seeking missiles to a form of mind control. How sinister are these technologies? Are we being prepared for a global village lockdown? The recent release of NSA records have reminded Americans that eyes in the sky are tracking us as supercomputers record the phone calls, emails, internet posts, and even the brain frequencies of millions. Ilana Freeland's startling book sifts through the confusion surrounding chemtrails versus contrails and how extreme weather is being geoengineered to enrich disaster capitalists and intimidate nations. A deconstruction of Bernard J. Eastland's HARP patent points to other covert agendas, such as global smart grid infrastructure that enables access to every body and brain on Earth, a transhumanist future that erases lines between human and machine, and nanobiological hybrids armed with microprocessors that infest and harm human bodies. Over the years, Ilana Freeland has been a Waldorf school pioneer, storyteller, lecturer, writer. She's written for alternative publications all her adult life to give suppressed issues a voice. For the past two decades, she's ghostwritten several books on diverse topics and edited the stories of survivors of MKUltra and ritual abuse. She's the author of her own Sub Rosa America series a fictional history of the United States since John F. Kennedy's assassination. In 1996, she was awarded a Master of Arts in great books from St. John's College in Santa Fe, New Mexico, including honors for her thesis on historiography. She now lives in Olympia, Washington, and has just finished writing Chemtrails, Harp, and the Full-Spectrum Dominance of Planet Earth for Feral House Books, available for purchase June 10th of this year on Amazon or in local bookstores. And it's a great uh, pleasure to welcome back Elana Freeland to The Conspiracy Show. Helena, how are you? Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, do some, some quick uh, definitions here. Uh, first of all, um, explain what HARP is exactly. What does it do? Where is it? Well, I'm, I'm sure that your readers have heard that the installation in Gakona, Alaska is closing down, and uh, perhaps they think that now we're done with this terrible technology that is actually Tesla's darkest dream, but it's not true, and in the introduction to the book, I make it very clear that the term HARP must refer to a global systemic technology that is in place and being added to daily. This is 
the beginning of a technology far beyond the resource wars and the uh, final oil, the oil wars. Uh, this is the what I think will be remembered as the uh, age of technology, the age of electromagnetic technology. And uh, HARP is, uh, is just phenomenal in the agendas that it serves. And so the, the, the idea, you have this array of uh, these radio antennas that are blasting the ionosphere, um, and uh, some have contended that it can be used to uh, create uh, earthquakes, uh, hurricanes, uh, tornadoes, uh, it can move the jet stream around, it can cause droughts, it can cause, uh, you name it, just about um, any weather uh, phenomenon, it can create that weather, it can manufacture the weather. So yeah. how does or how do these HARP installations, because as you say, it's gone global. I mean, maybe they shut the one down in Alaska, but there's, you know, uh, how many, many more out there that we don't know about. But how does HARP work in conjunction with the aerosol spraying of, uh, say, aluminum oxide and, and barium and strontium? How do the two work in conjunction? Can we get into that a little bit? We're, we'll come up on a break here in a minute, but we'll, we'll start the conversation now and continue it after. How, okay. do, how do they work yeah, in conjunction? It's, it's really important to understand how it works. Um, what you're talking about, the microwave heaters, they're, of course, striking the ionosphere uh, high, high above the Earth. And in the ionosphere, there are many ions of electrons loose. And the heat to heat the ionosphere is to stimulate the production of more electrons. And then this, uh, this stimulation done by the microwave heaters, uh, the ionospheric heaters, is then steered uh, for the variety of agendas. And you've mentioned a few. You've mentioned the weather agenda, for, uh, and that is crucial uh, to weather warfare, economic warfare, the, uh, the globalization of all nations, uh, bringing them uh, under submission to various networks of, um, like the Bilderberg, the Council right. on Foreign Relations, Let me just jump in here, Ilana. We're, we're going to take a time out. We'll come back and continue to delve into HARP and chemtrails. Ilana Freeland, chemtrails, HARP, and the full-spectrum dominance of planet Earth, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Welcome back. Elena Freeland is with us in her brand new book, Chemtrails, Harp, and the Full Spectrum Dominance of Planet Earth. Just, uh, well, it, it'll be uh, available to book buyers uh, on June the 10th. So you're getting a, a sneak preview here. And obviously, we're just going to be able to uh, skim the surface of this very important issue. So, uh, Elena, before the break, we were you were discussing or explaining how Harp and Chemtrails, uh, how they work in conjunction Right. And if I could just repeat a little bit, um, as, as the heaters, the, the uh, heaters up in, say, for example, in Gakona, Alaska, uh, by the way, a new harp is going in down at the Arecibo uh, Observatory down in Puerto Rico. Um, they go up, they balloon out the ionosphere, the heat forces the ionosphere to bloom, bloom, bloom and up, it drags the atmosphere up along with our jet stream. 
And then down the magnetic lines of force come the now very, very activated and additional particles. Uh, these accelerating particles come down, down, down. And now another heater comes in uh, that can strike it in a way that uh, Tom Bearden talked about uh, interferometry. And this is an interfering beam. And by having two beams from another installation, two other installations, nothing to do with the Gakona uh, shifting of the microwaves up to the ionosphere, then they can steer it. Uh, dually, and this is how they will uh, utilize fronts of weather. Um, they can create hurricanes. They can create tornadoes. Um, there's a way to c create cold fronts or warm fronts, and the this was, of course, promised in the document Owning the Weather in 2025, uh, a military document that is uh, among the appendices of the book. And and we are there. Yeah, they're I mean, ahead of I schedule. They're a, way ahead of schedule, Elena. Well, they always do that, though. They'll put it years in advance, or they'll use words like will, would, could, and, and when it's already happening. I mean, I envision science as being approximately, maybe I'm being too conservative, 50 years in advance of what we're being told. So um, it's not just about the weather, though, and that's what I try to do in this book, is I, I perceive this book to be a primer for everybody uh, who are well-versed in chemtrails or have been wondering about them or just coming to observe something strange in the skies overhead and noticing how their lungs aren't working as well as they used to. It's for people to get just the bare bones of this technology that is crucial. And when these particles are coming down, now to ionize the atmosphere for all the wireless transmissions that it's needed, you know, one of which, is, of course, is drones, now come the chemtrails. Uh, and these are filled with uh, conductive metal particulates uh, and the polymers are separate, but yes, there are polymers as well. The metal particulates are very important because they can stimulate the uh, accelerated particles to accelerate even more. And so this, this making our atmosphere, uh, ionizing it and keeping it ionized, because of course, because of the force of gravity, these particles will fall, so they have to be renewed daily. These particles can be used to uh, steer the weather, to increase the uh, wind factor of a hurricane or a tornado, and uh, they can also be used for communications. And, of course, the military is very fond of what they call C4, uh, and uh, that's uh, command control communications and computers. So now everyone's been sold a cell phone, Everyone's accustomed to Wi-Fi as being something that is a birthright, uh, and, and yet these towers and our radio stations and uh, all of the power lines and all of this that we're supposed to grow accustomed to, while we're now breathing these metal particulates that are conductive and they are in our lungs, they're in our bloodstreams, they're in our bodies, now we are part of the experiment 
of this ionized atmosphere. And that's crucial for people to understand. This, I go through the book and look at it as mostly experimental. And you'll see if you study different phases of this, it's been going since about 1995, this latest thrust of the chemtrails harp uh, dump and pump, I call it, um, is really um, about finding out how people will survive in an ionized atmosphere. This is, this is crucial to them. Not that they care that some of us die or that we're ill because, of course, it makes the medical industry rich. Um, that's not a concern. But they do, I'm sure, I'm sure that many hospital and clinic records are being scanned uh, and hacked in order to see what's going on with people now that they're living in an ionized atmosphere. And it has to be re-ionized all the time. Well, you know, if you ask anyone out there, when was the last time you saw a completely blue sky? I mean, it just doesn't exist. I remember as a kid, I mean, there were days there was not a cloud in the sky. And today, uh, in, in 2014, and, for, and, and for, you know, for the last, as you say, last 15 years, maybe 20 years, there's never a day where there isn't some kind of strange, it starts out as a maybe a thin white line and then it gradually expands and pretty soon you've got this very unnatural looking haze uh, floating yeah. around up there. Um, I remember uh, I went out, to, I was up in uh, Northern California and I was interviewing Rosalind Peterson who's um, a chemtrail watcher and uh, right. we, we sat there and watched a, 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 as a plane went by and let, left this thin ribbon of, uh, well, it was a chemtrail. And then we watched. She said, now wait. And, and, and he said, at the end of the interview, let's see where, where, what happens to it. And sure enough, uh, two or three hours later, uh, it, it was like half of the visible sky was covered in this strange haze. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, it, I guess ostensibly it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's blocking out the rays of the sun – uh, but what is it? What are they doing? Are they in in California, for example? They, are they creating droughts? Are they are they trying to drive people, farmers off the land? What are they doing? Well, I mean, yes. Uh, again, experimentation is ongoing. Uh, of course, Dane Wigington has done a superb job of speaking in everywhere about the aluminum factor going on and ruining the soil and the uh, trees in Northern California. He lives at Mount Shasta. Um, it, it may seem strange to people that our own country would be destroying our own country and people. But the military mind um, is dedicated to uh, a full-spectrum dominance and so many things can only be done at home. They can't, even though NATO has been completely compromised uh, for many years, they still can't go into other people's countries and do what they can do here. I mean, an example would be uh, Hurricane Katrina, um, the, uh, then the, um, the super hurricane back east. Um, these are done in our own country. And as I point out in the book, and 
in California it would be the same. Disaster capitalism is now uh, being supported so that when you have a disaster in your experiment to see what happens, you can then bring in um, contracts, rich contracts for Halliburton and uh, all the military industrial complex. Um, and they don't, they're not concerned on that level. And I think it's important for people to realize that we have to think on a different level than, um, than a decent human kindness kind of American who uh, thinks that, of course, we are here to respect each other. We've all been trained and conditioned to do that uh, in our schooling, et cetera. But our leaders are, meanwhile, preparing for the future, a future that they themselves will write. Well, you mentioned the, so, the, the disaster capitalists that are uh, creating the disease in order to offer the cure. And, and one of the things uh, that I understand, uh, disabuse me if I'm incorrect here, but uh, as I recall, when you, when you put all that aluminum into the soil, it alkalizes the soil. Uh, and so mm -hmm. then you've got these, these uh, Monsanto and other companies that are creating these, these seeds and these plants that thrive in that kind of soil. But, but everyone else's uh, crops are, are, are failing miserably. Uh, so yes. they create the, the, the disease and here's our cure, uh, you know, buy our seeds because our seeds will thrive in this type of soil. Yes, and the aluminum is particularly attractive to them, even more so than the barium. Barium is for a different purpose. The aluminum is attractive because it, of its surface area. It has four times the amount of surface area in a nanoparticulate size than, uh, than any, any other metal. And so um, it's important for the conductivity of the atmosphere, and they're willing to pay the price uh, for soil and the loss of trees because now they'll, uh, yes, then they'll have Monsanto have an aluminum-resistant fertilizer and seed and blah, blah, blah. So uh, this is, you know, it's kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul, but it, it is how the military-industrial uh, mindset works. And now that the economy has been lowered, and that has been very purposefully done uh, in that slow boiling frog way, then um, now they they want to uh, uh, you know turn disaster capitalism into a money maker and uh, i don 't know if you know this, but whether derivatives on Wall Street are big bucks, and we 're talking insider trading, the same thing that Enron got caught doing in fact, whether derivatives started at Enron uh, ironically. Um, so this this whole scheme to keep a money flow going at the expense of the earth, at the expense of people, uh, is is how this is going to work. And this is, to me, this is not an overnight thing that's going to end. It's the same as in the history chapter where I point out with the help of Dr. Rosalie Bertel and um, um, Nick Begich and Jean Manning in their wonderful uh, chronology of all the things that have been done without, uh, w w without our knowing are being done to us uh, has been going on since the end of World War II. I mean, this is all Cold War stuff. Cold War is over, but now we've got, you know, a chem war. Uh, and I think that um, when 
what Dane is, has realized, which I, I'm really grateful, I saw, at least I saw a headline that indicated this on his site, that this is an assault. This is an assault on the earth and her peoples, on the atmosphere, on, on the troposphere, on the magnetosphere, on the ionosphere. I mean, it, it's mind-boggling given that we are a part of the cosmos and if something goes wrong, <laughs> and I underline the word if, uh, then what will happen to our moon, our sun? I mean, beyond our oceans, beyond our rivers and our, our land. This is a this is Tesla's uh, TNT, his uh, magnifying transmitter, or as it used to be called, a Tesla howitzer. This is Star Wars. It has uh, it is bearing fruit, and down here the fruit is very bad All right. for us. We'll uh, take a time out, come back, and continue our conversation. We'll find out uh, how chemtrails, working in conjunction with HARP, uh, can be used uh, as a as a weapon of mind control. Elena Freeland is uh, with us, and her brand new book is entitled Chemtrails, Harp, and the Full Spectrum Dominance of Planet Earth. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Welcome back. Uh, next week on the program, uh, in the, let's see, the second hour, we have uh, our good friend Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network, and uh, we'll be welcoming a civil rights lawyer, Daniel Sheehan, who will uh, uh, describe his... Uh, efforts to end the truth embargo as it uh, relates to the UFO ET issue. And uh, Daniel has been involved in some of the, you know, the landmark uh, cases throughout the last 40 years, including the Pentagon Papers and Watergate, Iran-Contra, uh, you name it, uh, the, uh, the Karen Silkwood case. Uh, so that'll be exciting, Daniel Sheehan. And uh, in the first hour, the, um, we'll be talking about online privacy, <laughs> There's a contradiction in terms, right? Like jumbo shrimp and military intelligence, the old George Carlin routine. Uh, Mark Weinstein will be with us to, to discuss how to safeguard uh, your online privacy or whether the uh, proverbial horse has already left the barn. I think we might know the answer to that one. Right now we're discussing harp and uh, chemtrails. And uh, Ilana Freeland is with us. Her brand new book is entitled chemtrails, harp, and the full-spectrum dominance of uh, planet Earth. I, I want to get back to, uh, uh, to, to harp and uh, uh, how it relates to, to mind control. And my understanding is that, the, the, um, that harp, these harp-like installations, which are everywhere, not everywhere, but they're, it's not just you know, the one in Alaska, as you pointed out, Ilana. Uh, they, can generate radio okay. fre- they can generate radio frequencies up to 435 megahertz, which is somewhat similar to sort of the background uh, of, of human consciousness, which also operates in that range, does it not? Well, the way I think of it, I'm sure you're right, uh, but the way I think of it is that HARP is particularly good at um, long-wave uh, ELFs, extra-low frequency. And extra-low frequency is, acts very powerfully on biofields, not just the human mind, but on our entire biofields. And uh, that is some of the research, and it was through his research, uh, that Clifford Carnicum has done. Uh, life set me up 
very nicely in Santa Fe where I lived for five years and I was friends with Clifford and his wife Carol and I became involved in Clifford's studies of uh, these pathogens that are being piggybacked onto the polymers that are floating down with the chemtrails. So you have the barium, uh, the strontium, the aluminum and other things. I just talked to a woman uh, the other day who said that uh, her friend was telling her about high cesium uh, in her blood. So um, Clifford uh, added to that a wonderful, and I, I devote a whole chapter to Morgellons, as I'm sure you're familiar with the term. Absolutely, but yes. Now I understand how it works and how that is tied to the mind control piece. And to put it very briefly, uh, as we breathe in, these particulates, uh, some of them are uh, actual nanofibers created in laboratories that are uh, Clifford now and then calls hybrids. They're, they, they are very organic, but they are inorganic. And they have been programmed because they have sensors in them on a nanoscale, just remember that, we're talking submicron. Uh, they, they've been, they have sensors, they have microprocessors in them. So what I'm saying is we have all breathed these, not just the people that have the terrible Morgellon symptoms. They are in our bodies uh, and they can be communicated with if uh, someone were uh, chose to do that. So this is how I see that HARP is going to connect with uh, mind control. We're talking uh, frequencies, and these frequencies are ELF frequencies. They're, they're coming in in long waves, long pulses. They're even pulses. And uh, as Dr. Robert O. Becker so brilliantly pointed out, cyclotronic resonance is how to gain the human mind and this is this is probably my greatest concern richard yes the the weather and all that it's it's more than big boys with toys at this point uh but this this possibility that our nervous systems are being plugged in via these microprocessors on these uh, hybrid uh, fibers is very, very, well, scary. I, what can I say? When I first started doing this, I, was, I, I would just sit in, in awe and stare out the window. Now I feel, and in the book what I did is I, I laid out some things that people can do to, to um, help themselves, mainly their immune system. Okay, let's, let's, keep... let's pick up on that point when we come back, Elena. This is important. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll do that. On the other side, Alana Freeland is uh, with us as we discuss harp and chemtrails right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay a while. All right, uh, Ilana Freeland stays with us uh, until the top of the hour. Now, Ilana, before we get into uh, some of the, the remedies here and how we can uh, defend ourselves against this full-spectrum dominance and the effects of, of um, harp and, and chemtrails, uh, I, I just want to spend a few more moments talking about how this mind control uh, can work. Now, are we talking about, I mean, you, you can't focus 
this on on uh, one individual or one neighborhood, or can you? I mean, is it more of a just sort of a general malaise, like to control the entire population, to dumb us down, uh, to uh, uh, to make us docile, uh, pain compliance, these sorts of things? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I do tend to think of it as uh, a frequency-based technology that could easily uh, broadcast with all the cell towers, uh, the old Gwen towers, the NEXRADs on radio station towers, could easily broadcast a uh, violence frequency into a city neighborhood, and that wouldn't be the entire city, just a certain neighborhood, when everyone just goes nuts. All right, that could happen. Because the point is, Richard, that the atmosphere has to stay ionized for all the C4, command, control, communications, computer. And computer would be cyber warfare, right? So, uh, so yes, you can do that for a neighborhood. All right, uh, maybe a, a ghetto or something like that. Now, as far as individual, individual could work that way. I suppose, with a dedicated satellite and um, towers that you could triangulate with. I mean, that's already being done. Uh, it's, it's mostly that HARP chemtrails creates the atmosphere in which anything can be done for military-industrial agendas. That's how I read it. But the Morgellons creature, that adds a new dimension because we have them in us. We have breathed them in. They are very, very tiny, but they are alive. And I, in the chapter on Morgellons, it's a crucial chapter, and it's not a happy camper, easy answer chapter, but Clifford Carnicum has done all the research to nail all this down. And he has had... 180-some military uh, alphabet soup agencies hitting his site over and over and over again to see what he's coming up with. Um, I see that there is no way. I have it in me. I saw them uh, in my blood, uh, in my blood slide. Um, these little guys love iron, and they love hemoglobin. So uh, they distort our blood cells, but as I say in the book, to live our lifestyle now, not for convenience, not for safety, not for uh, a great career, but with our immune system at the very top of our list, the very top, where we are taking good care of our bodies. And it's, to me, I guess I'm one of those people that I look at a glass and I don't see that it's half empty. I see that it's half full. I've always been like that. And this is uh, forcing us to really become responsible for ourselves and not look to the great white doctor in the medical establishment, not to look for a drug, a happy drug that's going to take away our woes. This is our responsibility and um, I am full of, uh, of goodwill toward this because do I think I can stop this? No, I can't. And it is a vast experiment. 
it's like cell phones are a vast experiment where we're putting transmitters up to our brain. I won't go into that now, but this is also a vast experiment. What happens when various microorganisms that are produced in labs, artificial microorganisms, are inserted into the human biofield? What happens? And that's, that's what's being studied. And I'm sure they're taking notes madly as they uh, hack into people's medical records and see what's going on. Well, short of living 24-7 in a Faraday cage... Uh, because we are sw- we are swimming in a in an electronic smog, and there's no escaping it. I, I, I mean, if you live in a city, you're probably no, uh, you know, you're within a hundred meters of a cell tower wherever you are. And we have wireless now, wireless internet in the public square and all of the Starbucks. It's you cannot escape it. So so, what do you suggest that we do, Elena? Well, what I'm doing, uh, I suppose, is what I'd suggest. I minimize. I don't own a cell phone. I I always tell people that I'm not that important. Um, I um, wear a diode. I order uh, diodes for my family from uh, a certain place on the web where it didn't look like it was a placebo. Um, I, I have a friend who sends me powerful power stones. I surround my computer with anything and everything. And I watch my lungs because that's where I, I if I could be uh, uh, inappropriate, uh, also the feces. You can smell metals in feces. And then to think, well, what did I eat yesterday? Uh, and to uh, to really take responsibility to lower to lower those things which I feel weaken my immune system. And for me, it has to do with dairy, sugar, uh, four-legged meat guys. I don't eat any of those. And when I do, uh, my lungs suffer right away. And so I then will uh, ameliorate that the following day with my consciousness. I will make conscious decisions to help my poor little lungs out because I can't uh, eliminate it. It's in the air. This, is, this has got to be one of the most powerful experiments going and that Americans, more than Europeans, are oblivious to what is going on over our heads and what is, you can even see it in the sky, Richard. You can see it when it's dropping. It's like a, like a veil. And you know those are the particulates coming down. And yet, it's, we still insist it's a conspiracy theory. We still wait for some, uh, some astrophysicist or plasma physicist or president to come forward and say, yes, this is what we're doing. Well, that's not going to happen. I saw some and interesting... Uh... I took the bull by the horns and wrote the book. I'm not a plasma physicist, but I'm a very good researcher. And I tried to do my best to give people the tools and the keys by which they know what's going on and they can take responsibility. I, I saw some interesting uh, d- documentation which showed the admissions to hospital emergency rooms in uh, Los Angeles County uh, and Orange County, several documents, and the spike in admissions uh, for things like uh, uh, high blood pressure and uh, um, some sort of a cardiac uh, event after a period of heavy spraying. 
of these chemtrails. So yes. uh, it, it's it's quite remarkable. And obviously, you know, people will say things like, well, if the end game here is, is uh, you know, depopulation, they're not doing a very good job of it. But I don't think the, the end game is to kill everybody off. It's to keep us perpetually no. sick, chronically ill with upper respiratory ailments and, and dependent on pharmaceuticals. Well, it's to, it's to run open field experiments. That's the way they'd talk about it. This is open field experiment. And uh, no, they don't want to kill all of us. Uh, they might like it if the weakest of us sort of drop dead uh, and the rest of us, they, they will study to see, gee, how did they make it? I mean, that, that's really the sort of deadened consciousness that is running our science now. I'm sorry to say, which is why, of course, you know, I, I quote scientists in this work, but I try to quote the ones that seem to be actually thinking and responsible for their humanity. Uh, can this uh, um, harp be used to make people more docile? For example, you know, there was, um, there was something that was supposed to happen in, in Washington uh, over the weekend. It was called Operation American Spring, and they were hoping uh, to get somewhere between 10 and 30 million Americans marching on Washington, demanding uh, the resignation of uh, all of the leadership, including the White House and the congressional leaders and so forth, and they got several dozen people. Uh, and I'm, yeah. uh, you know, what, people. There's, there seems to be, despite what's going on out there everywhere, a lack of moral outrage. Is that yes? Is that due to to harp? Oh, you can do that easily with frequency. And look at Ukraine. Look what happened to them. Was that frequency? I mean, that's always my first question now. Excellent point. Uh, and what about uh, what about uh, sort of dumbing us down? Can that be achieved uh, through through harp? Well, think about what our our cells are going through right now in the assault they're undergoing, and our immune system, our brain cells. These these things are going through the uh, the blood brain barrier. They're so tiny. Uh, the aluminum is going through our blood brain. Bar- what can this possibly do but dumb us down? I mean, just on that alone not thinking of any uh, nifty little frequency that could make us stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that's why I don't uh, um, – my politics have changed. I'm not looking at things like I used to of, uh, of different political movements and, and uh, you know, and, and this must be because of so-and-so, uh, Putin, and this and that. No, I'm thinking the technology, and when I listen to leaders talking uh, and what they say to Obama or what they say to their people, I can often hear that they're saying something to us like a warning, but not able to speak. Because, of course, it's very dangerous to speak of these things. I think you're right. I'm, I, um, I, I'm long past the point of looking at uh, the world in, or, or politics in terms of, you know, Democrat versus Republican, liberal versus conservative up here in Canada, right wing versus left wing. It's really that it's yes. it's a charade. It's that's that's for public consumption. That's uh, that's the window dressing. Uh, there is no left well, wing or right wing. Brzezinski told us years ago, technocracy. This is a technocracy, and technology is being used on us. And it's just a matter of waking up and deciding what we're going to do, not wringing our hands and being afraid. But it's a reality. What is our next step? You call it a global village lockdown. I guess that's the end game. And, and if that, if global village lockdown is, you know, 12 midnight, how, how close are we, are we to midnight? 
Huh. Well, I, I think it's being done with a slow-boiling frog way, and you mentioned the the sort of uh, people who are not doing anything and not showing up. I mean, we may already be there, and it's just a matter of degree. Just a matter of degree. I mean, they want people to work, uh, and uh, they don't want people to go to school, obviously, because it's absolutely prohibitive now except for the elite classes. So I'm imagining we're already in it. Uh, and for me, life is still pretty good. I'm still able to think. I'm able to write. I'm able to go out and see people. And I think we need to count our blessings and meanwhile, there. All right. Well, uh, Elena, we appreciate it, uh, you spending some time with us, and congratulations on the book just in time. Chemtrails, Harp, and the Full Thank Spectrum you. Dominance of Planet Earth. Good speaking with you again. All right. Bye, Richard. Bye-bye. Elena Freeland. All right, my website, your portal to The Conspiracy Show. Don't forget to, su- to uh, subscribe. We're closing in on the 500 mark, and then I'll start publishing the weekly email, richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, and as always, follow the truth. And thanks for inviting me into your home and your head. Thanks for your ears and your voices. Dear friends, wherever you are, I pray you are safe, dry, warm, and well-fed. Let me uh, remind you that the great Jim Mars, investigative reporter, New York Times best-selling author of Rule by Secrecy, Our Occulted History, Crossfire, Alien Agenda, etc., uh, will be making his very first appearance in Toronto in June, June 22nd. Uh, and you don't uh, want to miss this extremely rare oppor- uh, opportunity to send here uh, Jim Mars in person and meet him. Uh, uh, Patrick and Kadena of Conspiracy Culture are presenting, and I'll be uh, emceeing and perhaps uh, interviewing Jim on stage at the uh, Bloor Cinema. Sunday, June 22nd, get all the info at conspiracyculture.com. And don't delay with this. Get your tickets, don't miss out, and it's uh, the first and possibly last, the last time uh, Jim Mars will be coming to Toronto. Uh, I was in a Fort Worth, Texas uh, a few years ago. We were filming some episodes of The Conspiracy Show, the TV program, now available on Destination America, part of the uh, Discovery Channel family. Anyway, Jim invited me over to his home, and so I walk into his, ho- uh, into his office where he's uh, working on all those uh, great books, and the first thing I see is got a, a holster and a six-shooter hanging from his coat tree, <laughs> I look at that, and he says, welcome to Texas. Uh, in all honesty, he's, he's one of my favorite people, and uh, he speaks his mind. He does, what, he does it with, with courage and conviction, and um, that's something all of us to aim for. Uh, you know, speaking your mind can get you in a lot of trouble these days. I've been crossed off on Christmas card lists myself or in, uninvited uh, to parties because of some of my views. Uh, global warming, for instance. I don't believe in anthropogenic or man-made global warming, but there are uh, climate scientists out there, too, uh, who don't buy into it, and they're taking a lot of heat. No pun intended. I'm just reading here in the London Daily Mail about one such, a climate scientist who's been gagged by green zealots. Groundbreaking climate research that was controversially covered up, 
suggests the rate that greenhouse gases are heating the earth has been significantly exaggerated. Again, according to the uh, the, the mail, uh, renowned Swedish scientist Professor Lennart Bengtsson, Bengtsson of Reading. Uh, Reading University was at the center of an international row last week when his study was rejected by a leading science journal after it was said to be harmful and have a negative impact. The rejection sparked accusation that scientists had crossed an important line by censoring findings that were not helpful to their views. Professor Bengston further claims one of the world's most recognized science publications also decided not to use his research findings because he said they were considered to be uninteresting. Professor Bengston, uh, Bengston's uh, critical paper was co-authored with four colleagues. It focused on the growing gap between real temperatures and predictions made by computers. In a recent key report, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change stated that the climate sensitivity the amount the world will warm each time carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere double, was between 1.5 and 4.5 degrees Celsius. According to Professor Bengtsson, uh, his paper, it, was, it is more likely to be 1.2 to 2.7. And the implications of the difference are huge. If the planet is warming half as fast as previously thought in response to emissions, Many assumptions behind targets for reducing emissions and green energy subsidies are wrong. The subsidies, in turn, have led to significant increases in consumers' power bills. We can appreciate that here in the province of Ontario. Last week, it was revealed environmental research letters had rejected his paper because it would be seized on by climate skeptics in the media. Well, my guest for the next hour likewise believes it's not man-made global warming we need to be concerning ourselves with. It's global cooling. He warns a new ice age may already be upon us. He cites as evidence an 11,500-year cycle related to Earth's rotational axis, in which ice ages lasting from 1,000 to 5,000 years occur like clockwork. He suggests that extremes in weather patterns, such as the recent record-breaking series of tornadoes, could be signs of this impending change. Robert Felix is a former architect who became interested in the ice age cycle back in 1991. He spent the next eight and a half years full-time researching and writing about the coming Ice Age. He then concentrated on spreading the word. His book, Not by Fire but by Ice, has achieved international acclaim with readers around the world. And Today, Robert continues his research and is more firmly convinced than ever that the next Ice Age could begin any day. In fact, he believes it has already begun. Robert Felix, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Fine, Richard. How are you? Well, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing okay, uh, despite right. you know all the doom and gloom out there. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, I'm not frightened by global warming. I I, I don't believe it. Uh, never have from the beginning. And uh, I mean, I remember back in, uh, in in the early '70s when everyone was talking about global cooling. Um, yes. And but but. Uh, you you say that it's not. I mean, ice ages. Explain how ice ages an ice age happens because it's not about the temperature; it's about the precipitation. Correct. 
Exactly, exactly. They don't call it a cold age. They call it an ice age. And, of course, uh, well, you, before I go in there, I mean, you've been able to see what has been happening with, with the Great Lakes this, this uh, past winter. That doesn't look very much like global warming to me. But, uh, uh, no, as we head into an ice age, we have what are called snow blitzes, where it snows more and more and more, and, and you reach the point where the snow does not melt in the summer. And so it's not, it's not, that, uh, it's not that these huge glaciers grind out of the north. I know a lot of people in the United States, are, they have that kind of, of uh, mindset. They think that uh, those ice ages, those, those ice sheets that, that used to cover Canada, that they'll come back and that they will, they will creep down out of the north. And, and, of course, people think it will take thousands of years. But we're looking at snow blitzes and we're looking at ice ages that begin in less than 20 years. And this was, scientists discovered this back in the 1990s, and, and they didn't even really believe it. They were, they were drilling uh, deep cores into the ice in central Greenland. They, they drilled down like two miles deep where they could pull up these cores of ice that had formed as much as 250,000 years ago. And, and as they looked at those cores of ice and that the, everything that's in the cores, the dust and the, the, the ash and whatever they see, is they found that every ice age in the last quarter million years had begun in less than 20 years. And we're talking, I mean, going from periods of warmth such as today into full-blown glacial severity in less than 20 years. And so one day, right? I, I I feel that we're headed in that direction right now. So, in other words, what happens is uh, we're here situated in in Toronto, Ontario, perched on the mm-hmm. the north shore of Lake Ontario. So one day it starts to snow uh, in let's say late March and into April, as we had we had snow right into April this year up here. Uh, and yes. it just in 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 and uh, what happens is once we're in the midst of an ice age, it just Keep snowing and keep snowing, and uh, we don't get that melt. And then along comes May, and the snow's still on the ground, and then it keeps snowing, and it won't stop. And the other part, even w- without that, the part that, that worries me even more is is that uh, I fear that we'll be fighting in the streets for food long before we're covered with ice. And, and the, the reason I say that is, for instance, the Little Ice Age. Uh, which occurred in the, the 1600s, essentially. But when the canals during, of Venice froze over, yes, when Venice fr- froze over, uh, they they didn't have thermometers back then, so they couldn't, uh, you know, they can't go back and look that way when they look at the history. But they do know that farmers in the Alps, farmers were were petitioning their local governments for tax relief because their fields and their pastures were covered with ice. So, uh, but anyway, what happened, for instance, in in, uh, in England uh, during that period? I mean, England didn't get covered in in ice, but what happened is that the rainy period lasted about five weeks longer in the spring, so farmers weren't able to to plant until five weeks too late, and then rainy season came back five weeks earlier in the fall. So they weren't able to harvest, and this happened year after year. I mean, you've heard of the potato famine. I, my my uh, 
mother's family actually moved from Ireland because of that to, to Canada because of that potato famine. Uh, that was during the Dalton minimum as opposed to the Maunder minimum. But uh, but anyway, because the planting season started five weeks later than normal and and the harvesting ended, literally millions of people died of starvation. And that's what I I look at now, and you know, I and I look at uh, governments around the world that are that are putting all of these phony taxes on carbon and and on on coal and the things that create our own our energy, and just when we're going to need that energy the most is when we're not going to have that energy. They're yeah. destroying our energy. Well, the, as far as I'm concerned, we have we already have a, a perilously short growing season up here north of the 49th, as you're well aware, uh, yes. and so it, it would only take a couple of weeks, uh, you know, shortening that by a few extra weeks on either end of the the growing season. As you say, it would would create massive few food shortages, uh, yeah. but but people will will look to the drought that uh, California has uh, endured the last uh, several years, and 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 would might ask you, well. Where, where then is this, you know, ice age uh, for Californians? Where is this, you know, precipitation? Why aren't well, they experiencing it's it? It's obviously not there right now. Now, I'll go to an, uh, an English uh, climatologist here. It is uh, Hubert H. Lamb, H.H. H. Lamb. Uh, he wrote a book about the Little Ice Age. In fact, he studied it. He wrote several uh, such books. And and in one of them, I've, I've read his books, but in one of them he describes that, that as you go into an ice age, you are looking at extremes in both directions. And he talked about areas during, as we entered the last ice age, areas of the world that had the worst droughts in 500 years, and then they turned around and had the worst snowstorms in 300 years. And this happened in the same location, same year. So this, so, as we head into a break, Robert, let me just uh, throw this out there, yes. and we can continue this conversation in a few moments. Uh, but these, these strange weather patterns that the global warming alarmists are attributing to global warming are, in fact, perhaps the initial stages of a coming ice age. I think they are. All right. Not by fire, but by ice. Robert Felix, back here on The Conspiracy Show, right after this, Stan Pat. And welcome back. Move over global warming. Hello, Ice Age. Robert Felix is with us, the author of Not By Fire But By Ice, the website iceagenow.com. Explain, Robert, the, the, uh, the connection between sunspots uh, and the weather or the climate here on planet Earth. You bet I can. Uh, also, it's iceagenow.info, uh, so it's in both locations now. Terrific. Uh, well, actually, there was an article that just came out on May 15th. Uh, a solar physicist at the National Solar Observatory in Tucson, he thinks that we are headed into a grand minimum right now. And his name is uh, Mark Giampapa. But anyway... Um, it does have to do with the sunspots. During the, the, during the Little Ice Age, is what happened during the Little Ice Age is sunspots 
declined and declined and declined until for about 50 years there were no sunspots. Now, there has been a big uh, argument in the scientific circles that some scientists say that this makes no difference. Other scientists say it does. Uh, and I think that we're seeing the proof that it does because the the, the little ice age did happen when those those uh, sunspots were were dropped to zero, and right now sunspot activity is the lowest that it has been in at least a hundred years, and and I think it's even lower than that because uh, NASA when they are studying sunspots. They now have fantastic, uh, tel- you know, the, the uh, tel- telescopes where they can can really see sunspots that nobody could see back in the 1600s. And I think if if they were looking at the sun with the same quality of telescope as we used to have in the 1600s, they would see that we are indeed headed into what's known as a maunder minimum. Now. Um, there's a David Hathaway. He's a solar physicist at NASA at the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, and he says we're at the sunspot maximum of cycle 24. It's the smallest sunspot cycle in 100 years. So this is this is official from from NASA that that it is the smallest sunspot cycle in 100 years. I think it's even smaller because I think they're recording sunspots that that shouldn't. Uh, that shouldn't even be there or shouldn't even be counted. I'm just now, looking at your website, Robert, and it says here on your website, uh, iceagenow.com and .info, that by 2016, the sun could become spotless. Okay, In two years, the sun could become spotless and remain that way for decades. So, yeah. And this is similar to the sunspot activity in the 17th century, which coincided with this period of cooling called the Little Ice Age. But what is the connection Absolutely. between... Why do little dots on the surface of the sun, why does that affect our climate so much? Well, you know, they've been trying to figure it out because the sunspots are actually cooler than the rest of the sun. But uh, they're be- uh, there's still more to be found, but they're beginning to think that the sunspots uh, affect the UV rays, which we, don't even, we haven't even been measuring and looking at as part of a, a cooling part. So there's still more to be learned, but I, it, it apparently has to, to do with that. Um, but, you know, I've talked with a couple of, of uh, astrophysicists. There's an astrophysicist in London, Piers Corbin, that uh, I went to, I visited London a, a few years ago, and I was lucky enough to, to meet Piers. Actually, uh, he and his wife had my, myself and my wife over for dinner one night, which I greatly appreciated. But he says that we are headed into a little ice age right now, based on his astrophysical, st- you know, studies of the of the sun. And there's another one that I, uh, another astrophysicist that I was lucky enough to meet is uh, Dr. Habibulo Abdesamatov. He's a Russian astrophysicist, and he also says that we are headed into a a, a little ice age. Is now some of them say mini ice age, but but uh, he says that we're headed into a drastic period of cooling. And Dr. Abdesamatov is not. I mean, 
it's pretty impressive, I think, the fact that he's an astrophysicist. But he's not just any old astrophysicist. He also happens to be uh, head of Russia's uh, portion of the International Space Station. So, I mean, we're talking about very, very legitimate science here that our politicians are trying to sweep under the rug and, and trying to, you know, they've, they've found themselves a cash cow. And as far as I'm concerned, that's what it's all about. Uh, once it starts snowing in earnest and won't stop, I mean, uh, tell me the kind of accumulation we'd be looking at. Uh, let's say, you know, you're on Manhattan um, Island uh, and it starts to snow. Can you can you give me some some visuals here to help me understand what an ice age would look like living in New York City? Well, eventually, uh, on, the, on the cover of my book, I have uh, an artist's rendition of a city with, with tall, you know, hundred-story skyscrapers that are that are completely buried under the ice. And I've had some geologists in New York complain to me because they said the ice was actually three times deeper than that. Um, in in uh, well, a lot of Canada was covered with two miles thick of ice. I know in Seattle, in the United States, Seattle uh, was covered with four thousand feet of ice, four thousand feet straight up. So you're talking four fifths of a mile. Um, obviously, obviously, will, no way. Will happen sooner. Go ahead. Obviously, no way to survive in 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 that type of. Uh, um, climate, obviously, right? No, I don't think there is. You know, a few minutes ago, you mentioned uh, Fort Worth. That you had been there. Yes. And I, actually, I just came back from Austin, Texas, last night. Ah. Because because I've been down there looking at the Texas Hill Country. I'm I'm looking for places that uh, I think are going to be safer. Right now, I do live in the Seattle area, and it's getting. You know, right now it's fine, but uh, if I'm right, then this thing is going to come on in a hurry. The way it's going to come on, I think, is during the, the Little Ice Age is volcanic activity increased tremendously. And during the Big Ice Age, of course, volcanic activity increased uh, even more than that. So what I what I see happening is that is how this thing would happen very quickly, is, is that... If we have a, a huge volcanic explosion or if we have uh, lots of little ones at the same time, then we're going to be looking at the you know, uh, cooler skies. And the other half of that equation, and I, I think eventually this will be my contribution, so far science has been ignoring underwater volcanic activity. And I think that is what has been heating the oceans, is underwater volcanic activity. I think that's what's been heating the Arctic Ocean, is underwater volcanic activity. So what you have is you have warming oceans, meaning you've got uh, more moisture rising into the sky, and it's rising into a sky that has been cooled by the above-water volcanoes. So that is what I see as the recipe for an ice age. Uh, and uh, how, what's can you can you give us sort of the latitude, the degrees latitude roughly uh, where on Earth this the, the effects will be felt of the ice age and, and below which there would be a safe haven? 
Well, uh, it would be hard to describe. On my on my website, on iceagenow.info, if you scroll down and look on the right-hand side, I've got a, a link for Ice Age maps. But, but talking about the United States and Canada, is I've got a line on there that shows, but essentially uh, the ice covered, came down out of Canada and covered uh, Seattle, and then it moved over to like Spokane and almost up to the Canadian border in Idaho, uh, where there was a, a tongue of ice that moved down out of Canada and, and dammed up the Clark Fork River. Then it followed the Missouri River. On the north side of the Missouri River, there was a cliff of ice about 15 stories tall. But on the south side of the Missouri River, you could have lived there, even during the Ice Age. Well, then it moves. It followed the, the Missouri. It covered uh, most of Wisconsin. It covered all of New England, almost all of New York. And as I look at the, the map here in front of me, uh, it, it covered Toronto. So eventually that's going to happen again. Right. So if you're if you're in the Carolinas, uh, you're, you should be fine. You'll be fine. Yep. What what happened? Well, for instance, I mentioned that Seattle was covered with four thousand feet of ice straight up. But if you went a hundred and fifty miles south of Seattle, temperatures were only about seven degrees colder than they are right now. They, they tell that because scientists can look at the kind of plants that grew in the area at the time. So, okay, seven degrees colder, that's that's quite a bit colder, but you, you can survive it. Uh, over nearer you, the climate of Chicago essentially moved to Georgia. And if you've been keeping track of the weather this last year, I mean, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia was shut down yes. for, for days. With, it was so cold there and icy and snowy. So... You know, again, I think I'm seeing the beginnings of it right now. Well, there's been rumblings sort of online and in certain circles that certain government agencies, uh, particularly in the United States, have been pulling up stakes and sort of surreptitiously moving. Uh, and I'm wondering if, you know, this is anticip in anticipation of some cataclysmic event like an Ice Age. Are, are you tracking any of, uh, of that? Are you noticing that government agencies are sort of quietly going about their business in anticipation of a little ice age or, or a grand ice age? You know, I don't, unfortunately, I don't believe it very much at all that comes out of my government. Um, so I'm not aware of that, but it wouldn't surprise me. I, I just don't, with all of this talk about with all this talk about global warming and and rising sea levels, I think it's silly. I mean, sea levels have been rising for eleven thousand five hundred years. Sea levels. I mean, that's what happens when you when you end an ice age. During the last ice age, sea levels were three hundred and seventy feet lower than they are right now. Um, the Bering Strait between between Alaska and Siberia, the Bering Strait, Strait is only 270 feet deep. So during the last ice age, it was above water. Our ancestors could have walked here from Siberia. So sea levels have been rising every single year for 11,500 years. This is nothing new, except one thing is new, is that in, and you don't hear about this. You can find it on my website if you if you Google it. But in 2011 and 2012, 
satellite measurements show that sea levels actually declined just by millimeters, but they actually declined during those two years. Hmm. Because when you think about it, I mean, that's where all the moisture comes from to build up those ice sheets that cover Canada. It has to come from somewhere. Right, right. That's where it comes from. On, for instance, in, on the east coast of the United States, uh, Florida was twice as big as it is now because sea levels were further out. Uh, New Jersey, sea levels were 100 miles further east than they are now. That's going to happen again. Well, the, yeah. uh, the, again, the global warming alarmists, when they talk about evidence uh, that to, to, to buttress their case that we are in, in the midst of global warming, they talk about the retreating glaciers. But, but to, to my mind, glacier, glacial activity has more to do with precipitation than temperature. So what is happening with the glaciers? Some of them are receding, but 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 not most of them. You know, uh, the Himalayas, we were hearing uh, a few years ago that they were all going to be melted by, by 2035. It turns out that was based on a study by one person who wasn't even a, a, a scientist who wasn't even published. Uh, it turns out that the glaciers in the Himalayas right now are, are growing. Uh, K2, the glaciers are growing on K2. The glaciers are growing on Mount Everest. Uh, glaciers on, uh, I can't remember the full name of it, something Parbat, but glaciers are growing in the Himalayas. I've got several uh, different articles about that on the website. Glaciers are growing right now in in the United States, and you don't hear about that, but uh, on Mount Shasta in California, there are several glaciers. I think there's five. But anyway, all five of those glaciers have been growing for the last 50 years, and nobody talks about it. In Washington State, the Mount St. Helens, if you remember, that uh, erupted, what, 19... 19- 81. It's starting to make rumblings again, too. Go ahead. It's starting to make some rumblings again. They're wondering whether it, it might is. be ready to erupt. Listen, we'll it take is. a time out, uh, Robert, come back and continue to discuss the coming ice age. Heck, not coming. We may already be in the beginning, the midst of a, another grand ice age. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Hey, welcome back. Uh, just a couple of quick notes. If you go to the website, richardserrett.com, and once you've subscribed and registered, that'll give you access to some special members-only areas of the website, including our past show archive. Uh, but here's a new addition. Uh, when you go to the past shows, you can now listen to the program uh, from that particular date. And, uh, but you've got to register to get access to it. richardserrett.com, and on the left-hand corner... Just scroll down and you'll say subscribe and register for member-only content. And uh, we're gradually uh, adding a listen um, or the audio component so you can listen to that program. It's going to take us a while you know, to get them all up there. But I would say going back the last uh, several months, you can now listen to those programs, uh, those previous shows. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is coming up on the program in a couple of weeks, Cheryl K. Chumley is the author of Police State USA. How Orwell's Nightmare is Becoming Our Reality. Cheryl Chumley on The Conspiracy Show. Right now, Robert Felix stays with us, uh, the author of Not by Fire but by Ice, and he's warning that we may already be in the midst of another ice age. Uh, How long will this ice age last, Robert? Well, it'll probably last around 5,000 years. So 
So we certainly won't see the end of it. You know, just before the the break there, I was talking about uh, Mount St. Helens. Yes. When Mount St. Helens erupted, there there were a lot of ice fields and glaciers on top of Mount St. Helens. And so when when it erupted, they all rushed, they melted and rushed down the Toodle River in a a, a mishmash of mud and and slurry and, and trees and bulldozers and whatever was in the way. Well... A glacier started forming again on Mount St. Helens, and that glacier, it's in the crater, it's called Crater Glacier, that glacier is now bigger than it was in 1981. So it started from zero and is now bigger than it was then. So that's so much for for melting glaciers. Mm. In Antarctica, you know, the the news, you've probably seen all the news in the last two weeks about all of this melting and and everything that's going on. And it is deceiving. It is deceptive. It it is not true. I mean, the fact, when you read the article again, make sure to notice that they're talking about West Antarctica. They're talking about the Antarctic Peninsula. Well, that peninsula obviously is sticking out into the ocean, and it is warmed by by the warmer seas. But when you go inland, the Antarctic glacier is growing thicker and has been growing thicker for the last, well, I guess 50 years at least. So it's kind of like when they talk about this, it's kind of like if uh, if you would look at the map of the United States and and the whole thing were covered with ice, and or the ice melt, was melting in Oregon but was growing thicker everywhere else, you wouldn't say that the ice is melting. But that's what they're doing now is they're talking about a, a comparatively small part of Antarctica where the ice is indeed melting, but everywhere else it's growing thicker. And Antarctic sea ice, the ice in the ocean around Antarctica, has been breaking new records every single month for years. So to me it just drives me nuts to to see this deceptive uh, uh, information being put out there. Uh, When the Ice Age comes... Uh, we would be looking at, I'm guessing, because there would be some advance warning. Uh, as you say, it takes about 20 years. But we're going to be looking at a massive migration uh, from northern climes to the southern United States, Mexico, etc. Uh, give me an idea of the numbers uh, of the people affected that would have to uh, basically pack up the U-Haul and, and uh, head south. Well, again, I'm afraid that that the lack of food will put a stop to that. But I, I, what I would anticipate that by if that happens, you're looking at essentially a collapse of of civilization we, the way we know it. And I think you'd, first you'd be seeing states passing laws that wouldn't let anybody migrate south into their state. You'd see Mexico closing their borders. And <laughs> There's, a that, uh, yeah, There's a switch. There's a switch. And they, and, and they would have to for their own survival. And, and I think you'll, at, you'll even see individual towns that, that have their own vigilantes. And uh, I, I think there will be lots of fighting. I, I really do. Uh, unless Canadians are really mean. You know, during uh, uh, Genghis Khan swept out of the north, uh, during as we entered the Little Ice Age, and he was able to conquer much of the world. But... Um, 
Right now, I don't think that you have the people who would have the stomach to do that sort of thing. But again, I'm saying food because the Canadian grain fields, you know, you won't be growing there. The the United States grain fields, some of them won't be growing, and and so many other kinds of plants won't be making it. I I think it'll be food. I I don't sell food on my website, but I keep telling people you've got to have a supply of food. All right, we'll take a time out, come back, and to continue our conversation, dire as it may be, with Robert Felix to the top of the hour of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. We are here with Robert Felix, the author of Not by Fire, but by Ice. He's warming. We may already be in the uh, early stages of an ice age, and uh, the website is iceagenow.info and iceagenow.com. Robert, are you good to take some calls? Sure. All right. Uh, our, um, our board op, our new uh, fellow in there, Damien, doing yeoman's duty, uh, doing a great job. But before we uh, – can we take Rudy's call? Are we good to take Rudy from Toronto? Rudy, are you there? Hello. Hi. Good, uh, good evening. Good morning. How yeah, are you? Good morning, Richard. And uh, I'd like to ask your guest, Robert, that if – if uh, we are uh, starting to experience an ice age, then uh, why are opossums moving into the Toronto, into Canada? Animals that normally live in the southern states, they are now being spotted in, in Toronto. Do they not know that it's getting colder? Good question, uh, Rudy. <laughs> that, uh, hi, Rudy. You know, I guess I can't exactly answer that. I think that uh, if they were coming in because they thought it was getting warmer, then after this uh, this cold winter uh, with the uh, um, Great Lakes freezing over the way they have, the worst in, in what, three or four decades, uh, I'll bet they're not moving into Winnipeg. What, didn't in Winnipeg this year there were, were thousands of... Uh, of uh, frozen water lines that were and sewer lines that were frozen more than six feet deep. So, um, uh, I, I could add. I could add I to that. I don't know. I, I can't answer it. I might add something to that. And and uh, uh, as, uh, this part of uh, Ontario where we are is referred to as Car- the uh, Carolinian Ontario, or the 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 uh, the, the forests here are, uh, sometimes are referred to as Carolinian forests. So there there is. Um, I don't think anything unusual. In fact, I, I know, uh, I remember as a child, and I'm a uh, uh, half century now, uh, we had possums in Ontario. So they've been around. I, I don't think that it's, they're not certainly native to this area, but I don't think it's unusual to have uh, possums up here. Well, uh, you know, I, I can talk about a different kind of animal because uh, I, I grew up in Vermont, so not too far away from you. And as I was growing up, there were absolutely no moose in Vermont, none whatsoever. And in the last 30 years, moose have been moving back. They've been moving south from Canada into Vermont. Uh, and, and they're sure of it because there have been more than a 1,000 moose automobile accidents, that, that, and some people have been killed. So for sure, now I, of course, uh, wanted to blame that on global cooling. But it turns out I, I contacted the uh, uh, the wildlife management uh, offices in Vermont, and it turned out that um, 200 years ago, when people moved into Vermont, the farmers, they were sheep farmers, and they cleared most of the trees. 
Well, now there's no sheep farming in Vermont, and and trees have been growing back. And so the moose are growing back there not because of the weather, but because there's more trees and they can hide. So, I, you know, I, with that in mind, I, I can't make a quick answer about the possums. There may be a totally different uh, explanation. Well, uh, we, we did have my sister-in-law – or rather my sister and brother-in-law had a, a possum uh, take uh, residence in their garage this past winter, and uh, they found it frozen stiff as a board just a couple of months ago. Oh, so it, oh, met its, it met its demise uh, thanks to uh, perhaps global cooling. Uh, Mark, Mark is in Ajax uh, this morning, Ajax on Ontario. Mark, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Richard. Hi there. Yeah, it's Mike, actually. Mike, sorry. Uh, gentlemen, uh, is it possible these harp installations and these carbon trails could be used in a good sense and they could start steering the weather the other way? Uh, we were talking uh, earlier, uh, Robert, about uh, chemtrails and, and, and harp and, and uh, whether they're being used to manufacture the weather. Is it, is it possible uh, that, that uh, you know, this is a bit of a, a misdirection? They're not actually trying to forestall global warming, but they are, in fact, trying to, to, uh, to forestall global cooling. Is there a connection with chemtrails, I guess is what I'm asking? Or... I, okay. Uh, hi, Mike. Uh, I guess I don't go there. I haven't studied chemtrails at all, uh, not a bit. So um, I can't go there on that. I, I, what I think, the reason I haven't studied them, is I think that humans are being arrogant to think that they could control the weather in either direction. Is there anything that could, Mike? Thanks for the call in Ajax. Is there anything that could be done to to forestall it? I'm guessing not. I don't think so. No, um, because this is this has happened time and time and time again. It's it has to do with something called precession of the equinox. It's a it's a total naturally suck cycle. I'll try to explain that a little if I can. Is that our Earth is is tilted? It doesn't rotate in a you know. A, totally north and south, but it's tilted at about 23 and a half degrees. So right now, if you could put a stick all the way through the Earth, through our axis of rotation, and, and point it toward the heavens, it would point toward the, the North Star, toward Polaris. But that axis of rotation slowly rotates and rotates so that in, a, in about uh, 20. It takes about 23,000 years, and so uh, 11,500 years from now, that stick will be pointing toward the star uh, uh, Vega, and then another 11,500 years from then, it'll be pointing back toward toward Polaris again. And ice ages seem to correlate almost perfectly with that precession of the equinoxes. So I don't think, you know, that's that's way bigger than anything that humans could affect. Uh, again, with the the, uh, the dire predictions here, but w what, what percentage of the population of the human family w will survive this? You know, uh, I'm going to sound like such a doom and gloomer, you know, but I don't think it'll be a very big percentage. What was it back 75,000 years ago when Toba erupted in yes. Uh, yes. Sumatra? And I think that that eruption, um, that killed so many people, they, they said it created a, a bottleneck in the DNA, and they they figured that, that maybe there were only 8,000 people who survived that worldwide. Um, so I don't know. You know, it's, it's just hard to know. But uh, 
I think we're going to lose a lot more people than anybody's prepared for. Uh, a couple but, of, but with that yes. said, if you could have, if you could survive the first year, then I think you're going to make it. And 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 how would one go about preparing for such an eventuality? I mean, obviously, you want to move to warmer climes, and you're you're talking about the uh, the, the the foothills of uh, of Texas. Uh, uh, yeah, and you, but you don't have to go that far south. You know, just. Uh, South of where the line was before, I think would do it. Right. I you can have that supply of food, but don't tell anybody you have that supply of food because you're going to have to be prepared to protect it. Uh, what I'm hoping, you know, is is that if our governments could could understand what's going on, that they could start experimenting with with different kinds of plants. Uh, you know, like uh, acousti rye, for instance, will grow in much lower temperatures. So, if I'd like to see some money devoted instead of instead of st- studying all of these bad things that happen because of global warming, I'd love to see research on on how you could grow f- food in in a cooler climate. It's there. The you know the ability is there. We do it, but but not on a massive scale. Like Durham wheat, for example. Require. Durham wheat, winter sure. wheat. Uh, I, th- th- yeah. A few years ago, they were talking about putting the the uh, a gene from a flounder, which of course exists in very very cold water. Putting a gene from a flounder into uh, wheat. Uh, huh. So. I know a lot of us balk at uh, GMOs, but there's an example where it might actually come in handy. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, you know, in, there, there'll be no infrastructure to speak of. The, there'll be no power grids. Uh, right. Uh, so, but you're saying if we can survive that first year, uh, and and but before we get to that point, you mentioned you know the lack of food. That's going to obviously precipitate some. Some clashes around the world. Uh, we could never. We could get to the point where we don't even see the ice age because we'll have a, a, a nuclear winter. We could, you know, and this the uh, the little ice age cycle. This cycle correlates with the fall of many empires. It correlates with the fall of the Grecian Empire uh, because you know they they had battles, wars over grain, and maybe nobody realized that that's what they were doing is going into an ice age. But the Grecian Empire collapsed as they headed into an ice age, a little ice age. The Roman Empire collapsed as they headed into a little ice age. Genghis Khan rushed out of the north, swept out of the north as we're heading into a little ice age. The Sumerian Empire uh, disappeared uh, as we headed into a little ice age, the Egyptians. So, I mean, the history is there that this happens. And if, if we could just, you know, what do they say? If you, if you don't uh, study history, you're bound to repeat it. And uh, I'd love to see us studying the history of, of some of those those collapses of not just looking at the wars but looking at why they were having those wars and you as you say this this happens like clockwork so uh i mean is it possible though that in terms of the clock you could be off by 50 100 200 years yes it is yes it is um but I, you know, I'm seeing more and more indications that, that what I see, what I think is coming. And the other part, of course, is, is I think it's going to be associated with a magnetic reversal. And we haven't talked about that much, but uh, uh, in my studies, I have found that magnetic reversals occur on our planet uh, approximately every 11,500 years. 
And the last magnetic reversal, the Gothenburg magnetic reversal, was almost exactly 11,500 years ago. So with that tying and and when that reversal comes that's when the uh the uh, uh volcanic activity increases dramatically so i think that you know that'll be a part of it too now uh when i started writing the book scientists said oh it takes 5000 years for a magnetic reversal to occur and there won't be one for 20,000 years, whatever, you know, nobody knew. But the British Geological Survey came out a couple of years ago and admitted that we could be heading for a magnetic reversal right now. So it all, you know, it's all beginning to tie together in my mind. Uh, does that have any uh, relationship to, for example, uh, the, the fact that um, uh, you know the magnetic north is sort of drifting? It's now no longer in, within Canadian uh, uh, the Canadian borders. It's now somewhere in in Russia. I think it could. During during previous magnetic reversals, is what happens, of course, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, is is all of a sudden your compasses point toward Antarctica instead of toward the Arctic. But during previous magnetic reversals is what happened is sometimes it fluctuated. The North Pole would move partway south, and then it would go back north again. Then it would move partway south again, so it would fluctuate. And so, you know, what we're seeing now, I don't know if it's something that's going to go back again or if it's going to continue on moving south. But that is... The other thing that happens during magnetic reversals is magnetic field strength goes down to about 15% of normal before it finally uh, uh, reverses. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to uh, save that for another, another right. uh, occasion. But, Robert, I really appreciate you spending some time with us again. The, uh, the website is iceagenow.com and .info. Not by fire, but ice. Appreciate it, Robert. Thank you, Richard. All right, Robert Felix. Uh, thanks to uh, uh, Damien and uh, Tim Spreen, as always, back next week with another program. Hope you'll be along for that. And in the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.